0: The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. What I want to talk to you about today is anger. Maybe I should have titled the sermon Anger Management. Like, Anger is a very interesting thing. Um, it is so unpredictable and it's dangerous. Like anger, man, when it hits you and you get angry about something, you could just like say things you wish you wouldn't have said. You could do a lot of things you wish you wouldn't have done. And it can cause us to overreact to circumstances. So it's a very dangerous emotion that we experience. And the Bible teaches us that don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so like the quicker you could do your anger, the better, uh, because it does cause us to overreact. And and some have said that anger is uh, severe anger is a form of insanity. And when we think about what it means to be insane is we're insane when we're out of control. And so severe anger we're out of control. When you start saying and shouting and doing things, you're having a moment of insanity in your life. And so like that's the way we need to look at anger and go, "Whoa, I don't want to be insane." Well, that's what's happening. If you're losing control, and a person who is, is 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 we would classify clinically as insane. They can't control themselves. And so, like when we think in terms of anger, that's what's going on with us. And so today we learn how do we deal with anger. What how, how can we? What are some things learned in this passage of scripture in First Samuel chapter 25 that can help us deal with the anger that we experience? Because we are going to have anger. But when we start following the Lord, it doesn't mean that we don't get angry anymore. As a matter of fact, it may mean that different things anger us or anger us in different ways, but we still get angry, and so we have to know how to deal with it. And so we're going to look at this really cool story, and I'm going to read it and go through it. There are three characters that you need to understand and, and who they are and a little bit about them. Um, one of them that, that we meet is obviously David. King David was going to be the king of Israel that God had chosen. He would be the second king of Israel. Saul is king right now, but God has already Uh, shed and anointed David to take Saul's place, but but Saul is still in in, um, uh, his position of authority, and so he wants to kill King David. So he's fleeing, he's on the run, he's in hiding. Um, Saul is after him. He actually, um, we saw that he could have, in chapter uh, 4, that he could have killed Saul, but he didn't because he knew that the hand, of, like the, that, he was the anointed of God, and so it wasn't his job to take Saul out of the picture. That was God's job, and so now um, we have King David, and he is sort of he's leading a band of guerrillas, and meaning that there are a lot of guys who went with him. He has about six hundred people in his army, and what he's doing is he's basically protecting Israel. He's really doing King Saul's job, and King Saul is all caught up with killing David, and David is caught up with protecting the people in these outskirts, and we saw that he actually did that. He protected the um, citizens of Keilah. We saw a couple of chapters ago that he went in and asked the Lord, should I go and protect these people? And The Lord said, yes, go and protect them. And so we see that, that David is kind of living on the outskirts without a home. He's having to be in hiding. And as he's doing that, he's still protecting people because that's what God said he would do. He is not in a position of authority as the king, but the Lord told him that one day he would be. And so he's waiting for the Lord to set up those circumstances uh, for them to come about and him to actually be in that position. The second person character in the story is a guy by the name of Nabal. And Nabal was a very wealthy man, and we'll see that in the story. Um, he had lots of sheep and lots of goats and um, lots of, I guess, livestock. And so he did well. And so, but he is a dude that is is not the kind of person you want to be. But he happens to be married to this um, fine woman named Abigail. Amen? Amen? <laughs> and, uh, and so that's my wife's name for those of you who don't know. It's actually, her name is Abigail, but that that has nothing to do with today, but my mind is wondering. And so so Abigail is, um, she is a, a woman that is, it says she's very intelligent and wise, okay? And so she's married to a guy that is, the scripture says, is mean and surly, but she's wise and beautiful. Okay so we we see these three characters and what's going to happen is you're going to see a conflict that's taking place between husband and wife. A conflict that is taking place between employer and employee. And in the midst of all of this you're going to see anger like just poof. but Abby this uh, Abigail in this story is the one that is is going to be giving us the model of how we are to, to act. We're gonna learn some things from Abigail, and we're gonna learn some things from David, some things not to do from David, and some things to do when we see that Abigail intervenes in the situ- situation. And so as we look at all of this, and kinda of see the story, understand that's what's what's going on, and that's the context of what this what is happening, is because David, remember, is out there protecting people. And so he, he has provided a service to this guy that um, there was no command whatsoever for this, the guy to um, reward him, but it was kind of expected in this day and age. So let's let's just uh, jump in the scripture, and, and we're going to go through the whole chapter, and I'm going to kind of stop along the way and and comment on different parts, and then I'm going to give you some takeaways that hopefully will help you manage your anger well and learn from the story and go, okay, man, how do I apply this to my life? So it says, now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Maon, and a certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail, and she was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, a Calebite, was surly and mean in his dealings. And so we learn right from the outset, and and his name means, and Abigail will will say this later, his name means fool. And so when we talk about what a a fool is in the Bible, we're not talking about a person who doesn't have intelligence. We're talking about, and I'm reminded of, uh, I believe it's Psalm chapter 14, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And so whenever we think in terms of a fool in the Bible, it is a person who lives like God doesn't exist. They just do whatever they want to do, however they want to do it, and they make their own um, decisions apart from the Lord. And so Nabal, he had no time for God, and, and he was a successful individual uh, by all worldly standards. And so he's married to this um, beautiful woman. He has all of this wealth, and he's living like uh, God doesn't even exist. And it says that while David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, "'Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. "'Say to him, long life to you, "'good health to you and your household, "'and good health to all that is yours. "'Now I hear that it is sheep-shearing time. "'And when your shepherds were with us, "'we did not mistreat them. "'And the whole time they were at Carmel, "'nothing of theirs was missing. "'Ask your own servants and they will tell you. "'Therefore be favorable toward my young men "'since we come at a festive time.' Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name. Then they waited. And so David, like this sheep shearing time was a really important time. Like it was a time, it says that it was festive. It is a time when all of their hard labor throughout the year, um, they were going to collect on it. They were going to shear the sheep, uh, sell the wool, and they were having a big party. It's a harvest time for them, if you will. And so when it was sheep shearing time and the sheep shearers were brought in, <laughs> that's a lot of shh, Right? <laughs> and so and so they were brought in and they're having this festive time and then the, the the person who um, owned the sheep man he would throw a big party and there would be plenty and and they would they would eat and they would have this joyful experience in this festive uh, at this festival and so David when he heard about it, remember he like he's trying to figure out how to support him and all of these men and they had been providing protection for um, uh, Nabal's sheep, just like they would any other Israelite. As a matter of fact, Nabal and David were related. They were kinsmen. And so um, he, David, like he, like it was customary that if somebody protected your shepherds, you honored them. And and it's kind of like what we would do, like a tip. You don't have to tip, but it's rude not to tip. And if the waiter is a great um, um, he, he provides great service, then you ought to tip them very well. And David is in this place where he has provided incredible service for this guy. As a matter of fact, he's wealthy and largely part of his wealth is due to David's protection because he didn't lose any sheep to anybody raiding um, his shepherds and stealing the sheep. And so David has helped him become a wealthy person and he's not on the payroll, but you would think, man, if I got a guy like that who's helping me make money, I want to take care of him. I want him to be part of the blessing. And so David and his men are starving to death as any a group of men would be who are having to take care of themselves and fend for themselves out in the wild and they're hungry and they hear that it's sheep shearing time and they're like, Man, go over and see what Nabal will just give us. I don't, we don't care what he gives us. And David doesn't go himself, and he doesn't take a lot of men because he doesn't want to intimidate M- Nabal. He just wants to go and, and he's expecting that Nabal is going to be a good dude to him. He doesn't realize that Nabal is mean and surly, as the scripture says. And so he sends his ten men. Into them and they go and the uh, they they say men w- David just says whatever you like whatever you want to give us it doesn't matter okay so they weren't demanding a lot they just were wanting in on the party and to be able to take care of themselves and it says Nabal answered David's servants who is David. Now, this is an offensive thing for a guy to say, because everybody knew who David was. David, they had songs written about David. You knew who David was, and you knew who King Saul was if you were part of Israel. You knew who those people were. And this guy responds, who is, who is David? Oh, well, David is the guy, like we even, everybody knows who David is. David and Goliath. That was his, what made David famous, his first experience was he slew this, um, gi- the slaying of the giant. And So he says, um, who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? So he basically says David, is a, he could be a thief. He's, he's, a, he's ran away. He's in rebellion. He says all these things that are not true about David. And so it was a very offensive time. So you just imagine you've been trying to help somebody, you've been doing everything that you possibly could to help them get ahead, and all of a sudden they're saying, who do you think you are? And you're like, I'm the guy who's had your your best interest at heart the whole time I've been around you. That's what's going on in this situation. And so the shepherds are ticked, or the servants of David, David's men are ticked as they receive this news. And it says that David's men turned around and they went back, and when they arrived, they reported every word. And David, being the righteous man that he is, responds this way. (laughs) David said to his men, put on your swords. Like he's ticked. He does not respond in a righteous way whatsoever. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. And about 400 men... He he only left 200 men behind. He was going to just take care of this this sheep shearer, like this sheep shearing party. He's going to take them out, and he takes 400 men. That's how mad he is. And so they put on their swords, and David put on his, and about 400 men went up with David, and while 200 stayed with the supplies. And one of the servants like, evidently got word of this and knew what had happened. One of the servants told Nabal's wife, Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day they were a wall around us, all the time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do, because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household he is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. You ever dealt with anybody like that? He's so wicked, you can't even, like the servant knew, I can't go talk to this man. The only hope we have is to Abigail, and Abigail evidently was the, the brain's uh, behind the business in this particular operation. She was the thinking person in, in this uh, household. And so it says that Abigail lost no time. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seals of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead. I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she came, and and, and again, she doesn't just send the food. She realizes the urgency of of the situation, and she decides to send all of the food and supplies, and then she goes on herself. And as she came riding on her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were uh, David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. And get what, this is what the scripture tells us what was on David's mind. David had just said, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert, so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male male of all who belong to him. He's going to go kill them all. Now, here's something very interesting that I want to draw your attention to before we continue in the story. Notice how David uses the name of God to justify his behavior that is totally ungodly. Notice that David is a man after God's own heart, yet he is saying, like, may God deal with me if I don't kill every one of them. And so how quickly spiritually we can get confused, how quickly the enemy can launch an attack on our lives and and we can find ourselves going down a road that is totally disobedient to where God has called us to, and that's what's happening with David, and and, and so like I'm reminded of um, uh, the scripture that talks about there's no temptation that has uh, uh, come to man. That, that, that God will not supply grace that is sufficient enough for us to overcome that temptation. And so what's going on with David is he, is he is being tempted to respond in anger to an injustice that has been committed against him by a wicked man. And he's using God to justify his behavior. And it is wrong. And he is about to, he is about to commit a sin that could be incredibly destructive for all of his dynasty, all of his future. And so we need to understand that spiritually, the, the, the Bible tells us in, in Ephesians chapter 6 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, uh, spiritual forces of wickedness and darkness in high places that come against us. And I think that's what's going on. This is not about um, Nabal right now. This is about what the devil trying to trip David up and get in him his way and mess up all of the dynasty that God had planned for him. And that will happen in your life. There will be things that will trip you up. There will be things that cause you to get angry. There will be stuff that happens in your life that if you are not careful, you will be led right into sin, and and you'll try to justify it in the name of the Lord. And you can't do that. And and the Lord will make a way out. Like for every temptation that we face. The the scripture teaches us is the Lord will make a way out. So when you're faced with a temptation and you find yourself getting angry, what you got to do is look for a door to walk through to get you out of that mindset. Because the Lord will always provide a door for you to walk through and not step into the sin. The problem is, is that we like our anger. We're justified in our anger. And just like David here is here in this moment, we just kind of, we, we just kind of soak in it until finally we respond and we commit the sin and we destroy the dynasty that God has out in in front of us. And we're never able to experience all of the glorious blessing that he wants to pour out in our life because we're not listening to him. We're not looking for a way out. And so here's, here's what's happening. It's like, he's, he's, this is what he's just said. These words have came out of his, they came out of his mouth, but the woman, Abigail is coming um, down the valley and, and he's coming down the valley and they meet in the middle. And when Abigail saw David, it says in verse 23, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Remember what happened when Saul was in the cave? And David cut off the hem of his robe, and then he was conscious stricken. The Holy Spirit got a hold of him, and as uh, his men wanted him to kill Saul, and then Saul finally got far enough away from the cave that he goes out, and he says, hey, he calls out to Saul, and what does he do? he bows with his face to the ground. What do you think is going through David's mind when he sees this woman bow with her face to the ground? The Lord is setting him up. He's, he's communicating with him. He Through this woman, he's sending a message. Um, and so she bows with her face to the ground, and she fell at his feet and said, My Lord, let the blame be on me alone please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool, and folly goes with him. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. And in that, I think we can take away that, man, she's saying, listen, my, my husband may live like a fool and believe that there is no God, but I do believe there is a God. And I didn't know your men came. And so she begins to uh, intervene in the situation. And so she says, Now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. And so she's reminding David, remember you fight for the Lord, you don't fight for yourself. And she doesn't know that she's doing this. This is the sovereignty of God using another human being to intervene in David's life. Let no wrong being be found in you as long as you live she says even though someone is pursuing you to take your life she knows that Saul is after him she knows that Saul is trying to kill him and she says the life of my master will be bound securely in the bundle of the living of the Lord your God I'm reminded of John chapter 10 verse 10 where Jesus says the thief cometh not but for to steal to kill and to destroy but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly And so she's saying to him, we can almost see that Jesus' truth that he speaks right there in this situation. He says, don't get off and be stolen from. Don't you know that your life is wrapped up in the abundance of God? You have to trust God. But the lives of your enemies, watch what she does here. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. She's referring to David's first victory. You killed the giant with the sling. Remember that stone coming out and how God supernaturally guided that stone, David? That like all of your enemies are subject to the Lord and you don't need to do this, David. She's speaking truth into his life. And when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord has brought my master success, remember your servant. What a speech, man. Now we can see why the Bible says this woman was loaded with wisdom. And not only was she a wise woman, she was a beautiful woman as well. And she's speaking all this truth into David's life. And as it's coming out of her mouth, I can just imagine Abigail as she leaves and she finds out what her husband's done. And she knows that the entire family is in jeopardy, the entire business and she loads up all the supplies. She doesn't do anything but just kind of do whatever she can to protect her husband in this moment. She doesn't go get in a fight with her husband. She just does everything that she can to intervene. She sends on the supplies and she's riding on her donkey and she's making the journey to David and she's talking to the Lord the whole way and the Lord is preparing this speech and he's sovereignly putting in her heart all of the words that he wanted David, the man after his heart, to hear. And so she speaks all of that truth and it comes out of her. One of the most eloquent speeches we could ever read about a situation. And then the the Bible even says about Abigail that the the, uh, uh, rabbis during the the Talmudic period, they they referred to Abigail as one of seven women who had been um, overcome with the Holy Spirit and used to prophesy during this time period. She's a special woman. She had a heart for God and God used her. And David, after he hears all that, he says to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. He saw that she was an open door. He was furious, ready to kill these men. And as soon as she spoke all that truth, he recognized through the power of the Holy Spirit, that this woman had been sent by God himself. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. He's like, man, I just dodged a huge bullet. Like I was overcome with emotion. Anger had a hold of me. Thank God for providing a way out. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, so that she's riding back home. All right, She's on her donkey. David has received the, the gift. She, the, the family has been spared, and she's on her way home. She's rejoicing, and she gets home, and look what she gets home to. When she went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. And we see the danger of overindulging in chemicals and and altering our minds. This guy was about to ruin his entire family. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, she was smart enough to wait until he sobered up. His wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. Most scholars uh, would agree that, that he had a stroke on the spot. It hit him like a ton of bricks. His eyes glazed over and about 10 days later, it says the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. What does the scripture teach us? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It is not ours. We are not being like God when we take out vengeance of our own. We must always leave it to God and God will take care of the situations. And so he says... um, Then David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. And his servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, Here is your maidservant, ready to serve you and wash the feet of my master's servants. Which basically is saying, I'm ready to be the lowest servant on the totem pole. And Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five maids, went with David's messengers and became his wife. And David had also married a of Jezreel, and they both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michael, David's wife, to Paltiel, son of Laish, who was from Galem. And so, what's going on there? Well, first of all, notice how we start with the death of Samuel, and we end with Michael being given away to somebody else, take it away from David. And two things are happening. One, it is the close of the era of Samuel. He, Samuel, he is no longer there to be a voice of sound reason, which means that there's some power that has gone that has bolstered Saul. Two is he's treating David as though he were dead by taking away his daughter. Taking away, in his mind, he's taking away the royal um, uh, right to the throne because David would have been married to his daughter. And so we see these things going on. And before I give you the takeaways, I think it would be uh, good for me to give you this because we go, man, David, he's got two wives. My brother asked me this Christmas. He said, man, well, what what about all these people he said? like. Abraham had all these wives, and David had all these wives, and Solomon had all these wives. What's going on there, man? I said, "Well, what's going on is people are doing what God doesn't want them to do. That's what's going on. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, like always in Scripture, we see that monogamy is what, is the, what God has prescribed. Let a man leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. And so when you see these things happening, we see that, yeah, God tolerates it, but God never said, go do that. God doesn't tell them um, to go and have multiple wives. He works in the midst of the mess, but we must always understand that God teaches, and even Jesus um, taught that a man and a woman, that's what marriage is, is one man and one woman. That's why the scripture says that a person who's going to be an overseer in the kingdom of God must be the husband of one wife, not four wives right? The scripture's clear about this, so don't let anybody trip you up when they start like poking holes on that, and they say, man, well, what about these people? What do you say about that? What I say about that is those people were disobedient. That's all you have to say, argument removed, okay? The Bible doesn't protect people from disobedience. It writes everything about what they did that was obedient to the Lord, and it writes the stuff that they did that were disobedient. And here's how we can know this when it comes to this idea of polygamy, that it is not um, uh, the Lord's will. Every person who practice it, all it did is create heartache in their life. It didn't create the blessing of God. It was always pain in it. There was always problems in the midst of it. And so we could look at that, and I just thought I would throw that out there before I give you the takeaways because I think it's confusing for people. But here, here are the takeaways. We jump back into the story and go, what does this mean for anger? Like, what, what, what is God, like, how do we use this? How can we use this this week to make sure that we don't temporarily become insane? If you fly off the handle and you start hollering at your husband and you're just acting in anger you're temporarily insane and walking in disobedience. Like, there's no way, if you scream at your kids, you start shouting at them, you're temporarily insane and disobedient to the Lord at that moment. So you need to know that when you do that, you are walking in sin. There's no way around it, okay? Now, I have done the same thing. Let me just say that I have lost my cool. And I know when I've lost my cool. And I've reacted emotionally and letting anger drive me. And the way that I handle that is repentance and asking my wife or my children to forgive me. That is the only way to deal with, this, with it when, you, when, you, when it happens, is you repent and you make it right. And, and, and so here's the deal is, what's even better than that is just don't do it. Just learn how to not lose control of yourself. The fruit of the Spirit is, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so whenever you lose control, then you are losing, um, like you're not bearing fruit in your life. And so whenever you're walking with the Lord and you're abiding with Him and He's walking, like you're in an intimate relationship with Him, you will be able to control your anger. You will also be able to control your mouth. Like when, a lot of times say, well, is it a, is it a sin to say a cuss word? Um, I don't think it's about the word, okay? What is a sin is to lose control of your mouth and you can't control your speech. That's where sin is, and you just, just like you're just railing and have no control over your mouth whatsoever. Whether it's you're speaking, um, like uh, a- a- angrily towards someone, and your everything's just coming out of your heart in anger, or it's coming out and and just a loss of control, and you think you can't control yourself, you can't control yourself. The Lord says you can control yourself. As a matter of fact, when you become a follower of Jesus, he puts everything in you necessary to control yourself. So here's what I see that we we need to take away from the scripture. First of all, disciples do life with people who live like there is no God. What I mean? I mean that we're living with people today who live like there is no God. And so when we live with this understanding, it helps us control our anger because we know conflict is going to happen and we should expect it. You should not be surprised if somebody does something to try to take advantage of you. There are people all around you who live like there is no God. But that is not an excuse for you to live like there is no God. That's what the story is telling us is that we need to understand that this is happening around us, but we don't need to be surprised by it. When conflicts arise, be wise. That's what the scripture is teaching us. Every day is a new day, so take each conflict as it comes. If conflict comes into your life tomorrow, just look at it, deal with it, and make sure you're responding in a way that brings glory to God. Here's what you have to do. I think what I'm saying in this, own the conflict, don't let it own you. that's that's how you balance it, is you just take and own that conflict and go, okay, I know what's going on here. I don't have to worry about how this person's acting. I know that they're living like there is no God. What does that tell me? I don't have anything to worry about because I know God exists, and I believe in God, and I'm yielding to God, so I can depend on God to what? Avenge this wrong in my life. If you are trying to avenge the wrongs in your life, you are living like there is no God, which is foolish, which is what Nabal did. And so we rely on God to avenge the wrongs, or we become like fools who have said in their heart that there is no God. That's what the scripture is teaching us very clearly. Here's the second thing a disciple's best counsel should come from their spouse. Okay? Spouses are designed to be our greatest ally. And when we look at Abigail, we see that first of all, she had a disciple's head. She understood people. Okay, she not only understood her husband, she understood. David. The second thing is she had a disciple's heart. She loved people. She helped Nabal by trying to protect him, and she helped David. There are a lot of wives who, if they were married to such a deadbeat husband, when they heard that David was coming, they would have went and gotten in their prayer closet and say, God, I can see that you're delivering me. I hope you take this scumbag out. <laughs> right? There are a lot of women that that's exactly the way they would react. Serves him right. I knew this day was coming. But that's not what she committed to. She committed to for better or for worse. And she knew that in this position, she had to do everything that she could to protect not only Nabal, but everybody as was a part of that family. And so she loved people and she loved David as well. She thought about his needs as well. And so she loaded up all the donkeys with food and sent it on ahead of her and went herself. And she had a disciple's hands. And we see that in that she helped them, she helped them both. And so, this is what we need to provide and counsel to each other. Like we need to be like yielded to the Lord and act like man I know I can go to Abby and I can talk to her about things because I know that her heart is one that is postured toward the Lord. And I know that as she she thinks about things and she reflects on something that is really bothering me, she's going to speak back something that she's thought about what the Lord says. She knows the same thing about me and it is a, it is a wonderful experience to be doing life with her. Like, man, we've been married for 23 years. Two years. So But I, I tell you what. And I told her, I, 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 we did some work on her ring recently. Um, and, and I, w- I went and picked it up and on our way back home from home from Oklahoma. and I had this moment, I wanted to do it with the kids. And so the kids were all there in the, in the car with us. We picked the ring up. She already knew the ring was, was coming. And so I, I sort of said to her, Abby, like, I would, I would do it all over, like, in a, in a heartbeat. As a matter of fact, like, because our relationship is centered on the Lord, um, like, I love her more today than I even could think about the day that I married her. Like, it is so rich and so sweet. And there have been times, man, there have been times that that it hasn't been that way, okay? There have been times that are a little rocky. Like, you raised five toddlers, man. Woo! Bro, God bless you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, you make it through those times, and, and the relationship is so sweet. And so, it's just special. So I say, I'm, I'm, why am I taking time to describe these things? Because um, what I want you to know is that that's what, that's what our spouses are for, but it requires both of us walking in obedience, not just one of us. You want to have a relationship like that? Both people have to yield to the Lord, not just one. And as we yield to the Lord, man, the Lord just, he just is woven in like that threefold cord, and it's not easily broken, and we have allies that that, that can help us and counsel us. And I love this woman is able to, in this situation, protect her husband and protect David. And here's the the last thing, is disciples are teachable. David listened when Abigail taught. He heard a speech loaded with wisdom and truth. And that she, she's speaking truth into his life and he received it. And David recognized that she was sent by God to help him. And so for... Um, him to respond. How did he respond? He changed his mind. What is that? Repent and believe. One of the things, if you stay around here very long and you get involved in discipleship, is you're going to learn about a Kairos moment. And these Kairos moments happen in our lives all the time, not just one time. David certainly already knew the Lord, but this is a Kairos moment. The kingdom is trying to break out in his life. He came out to a place in his life. He was faced with truth. He repented. He believed that God was in it. He turned around and he went back home. And he trusted God. And what did God do? God took care of the situation. Because he was teachable, he experienced the provision of God. And here's the big idea as we land this thing today. When you do what is right, the Lord takes care of the impossible. Like, man, I could, man I've seen it throughout my whole journey. As long as I'm doing what is right and, and I know what the Lord has called me to in obedience, He takes care of the impossible all around me. And David was able to exclaim when he heard that his enemy had been taken care of by God himself. He was able to exclaim, it is the Lord. Like, blessed be God who's avenged me. It is the Lord. I see the Lord in this. Remember, Peter is in the boat, and they're saying they're out there trying to fish, and they can't catch any fish. And somebody calls from the beach and says, throw the, fish, throw, throw the net on the other side. Oh, we've been fishing all night. No, throw it on the other side. Threw it on the other side, and the net was full of fish. And as they brought it in, then one of the other disciples said, it is the Lord. And Peter jumped out of the boat. And, man, I'm telling you, life, you're living in the the, 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 the life of the abundant, living in the land of the abundant, whenever you can look around and go, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. It is the Lord right there. Like, if you can't see the Lord working in your work, you're like, you're off, man. The Lord is doing stuff at your work. You're just not walking with the Lord so that you can see it, man. The Lord is doing stuff all around us and so you got to be walking in this place of obedience where you can recognize it is the Lord. And then that gives you energy and that gives you like spiritual energy and the ability to listen more intently to the Lord because he's dropping these breadcrumbs along the way. Like, man, here's David. He had just had this incredible victory over doing what is right and not killing Saul. And, 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 and probably his men are giving him grief about that ever since that happens. Man, if you would have killed Saul, we wouldn't be sitting in this cave right now we could be leading Israel. And he probably had to listen to that for a couple of months. And, and so finally, when something happened that lit his fuse, he's just like going to take it all out on Nabal. And so he has this huge mountaintop victory, and then he's about to blow it all. But what does the Lord do? The Lord knew that he, he, his heart was to walk in obedience. So the Lord sends him someone to speak truth into his life. He receives it, he repents, and he believes, and the kingdom keeps breaking out in his life. And so we just see the cycle of spiritual growth and development. So that's what the Lord's doing in your life? Like, that's what the Lord's doing in my life? Like, there there are times that I can just recognize, man, this is from the Lord. The Lord is trying to protect me in this, this situation right now. He sent this person to say that thing. I mean, Jimmy, you really believe that the Lord would use a person that has no idea that they're being used to the Lord to say something to you to keep you from walking in disobedience? With all my heart, I believe it. Like, I've been walking that truth. All, so, like, and I trust, and the Lord just keeps pouring out his blessing. And so, the Lord is, he's doing that in your life. And you want to be sensitive to it. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc